What was it specifically he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ for? Who, who remembers? What was Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ for? Elijah? No? For the Gentiles, right? He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm in, I'm in bondage to him. I obey whatever he wants. I don't have any rights. I'm all out. I'm all in for Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ, for the Gentiles. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus. But it's Jesus through me to a people group. And we talked about who are you a prisoner of Jesus Christ for? Your faith, your salvation, your, your relationship with Jesus Christ is not just for you. In other words, it's not all about you, right? It's about Jesus through you to other people. That's what you were literally created for. It's to reach out to other people, lost and saved, right? Maybe you say, I'm not an evangelist. I don't naturally connect with people and bring them in. I, I, don't, I don't feel like, you know, those opportunities present themselves all the time. Okay, great. No worries. But you were made to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ for other people. So maybe it's people in this group. Maybe it's other believers. I don't know. But who are you a prisoner for? And then this week, we're going we're gonna to actually kind of look more at Paul's perspective as he's writing this letter. Because as I was reading through verses 8 through 12, uh, I was kind of like, dude, how in the world does this connect to students? Like, it's, it, it seemed to be a very academic study, and it was very technical. And I was like, man, I don't know. Like, this is kind of, it's almost abstract for us. Um, but as we look at Paul's perspective here in these verses, I think there's some, there's some really good stuff we need to see that the Lord has for us. And so let's jump right into verse 8. He just talks about he's a prisoner for, for the Gentiles. <clears throat> and then he, he explains his situation. He says, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Let's look at that real quick. So Paul readily acknowledges his lack of ability and sufficiency. He's, he's less than the least of all saints. <clears throat> he's not good enough. He's lower than the lowest man on the totem pole in his mind. But rather than just talk about how bad he is, I love that he doesn't ever go into the details. He doesn't go into the details of how bad he is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he, he tells Timothy, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And he doesn't go into details of how he's the chiefest sinner. He's not worried about all the bad things that he's done. He recognizes, man, I'm low. I'm, I'm less than. He can easily go on and on about all the bad things he did, right? But he doesn't. Because those aren't the things that he or we are supposed to think about or focus on in our walk with God. I mean, if you think about it, 
This dude was like killing Christians. None of you have killed a Christian, right? He could talk about all the times he murdered or he was, he was the cause of murder among believers. He could talk about <clears throat> all the pride he probably had. He could talk about all these things, but he doesn't. And we're not really supposed to either. And similarly, <clears throat> I was thinking about this this week. If, if I knew, if I, if I could even think of all of the ways that I fall short of the glory of God, like I could probably list a hundred things that I do or have done badly that would disqualify me from everything on, on earth, right? Especially a relationship with God. I could go through probably a hundred, but there's probably like a million things wrong with me, right? And I'm so glad that I don't know all of those things. I'm so glad that I don't even have capacity to think about all the wrong I've done because if I did, if I, if I were able to think about how deficient I am in ministry and in life, I'd likely strive to fix myself nonstop. That's all I would think about. Fixing myself, fixing myself, fixing myself. Getting this right. Doing this better. Right? <clears throat> it's all I would ever focus on. Just trying to live up to who God wants me to be. Bettering myself. But I'm thankful to God that He doesn't reveal those things to us. <clears throat> at least all at once. Because He doesn't want us to dwell on that. He just wants to fix it Himself. Because if I knew about it, and then let's say I was pretty good at fixing myself, right? And I was going through life, and I was fixing things up, and I was bettering myself in this way and in that way. Well, I might actually turn out a little bit better, right? But who's going to be better at adjusting and conforming my life to Jesus Christ? Me or Him? Right? So here's what I'm getting at. <clears throat> he doesn't. He doesn't need our effectiveness in ministry or in life. He doesn't need our natural skill or our ability. He wants your emptiness. He knows all the things that are wrong with you. You don't. And yet He doesn't say, hey, think about all these things that's wrong with you. He wants your emptiness. He wants your genuine surrender. He wants your gratitude. He wants, like what John said in John 3.30, he wants us to have this attitude. He must increase, but I must decrease, right? More of him, less of me. And then we see here in verse 8, to what end? You know, Paul could say, I'm the least, I'm less than the least of all saints. And this grace is given that, you know, I have this grace. Why? Why do I need less of me and more of him? Why do I... Why do I need this grace? Why do I need to be empowered in life? And it's that Paul says to the end that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's not just so that I can preach about Jesus. It's not just so that I can be a really good uh, believer. It's not just so that I'm conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's that to the, to the end that I would be able to preach the riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. We're freed from our obsession with ourself. You're freed from that. You don't have to obsess about everything that's right or wrong with you. You can actually stop thinking about yourself. We get to stop thinking about ourselves and we get to think about 
we get to declare, we get to preach, we get to brag about how rich it is to know Christ. Your life, because you don't have to be obsessed with yourself, can be all about how awesome Jesus is. And that makes evangelism a lot easier. You're not trying to say the right words and be really clever and be really smooth as you engage someone in a conversation. Bro, chill, man. Talk about how awesome Jesus is. Here's your key. You can't perfectly fulfill your role in ministry, whatever God has called you to, however He's wired you, However he wants to use you, you can't perfectly fulfill your role until you get out of the way. And what I mean by perfectly is I don't mean uh, without error. I mean you can't uh, maturely, right, completely, you can't in a mature way, in a complete way, fulfill your role until you get out of the way. You can be used. God can use you, even if you're in the way, because God's bigger than you, right? But if you'll get out of the way, you'll just be head over heels in love with Jesus, you'll be used a lot more effectively. And in a society that promotes self-realization, right, you've got to realize who I am. Who am I? What gender am I? What sexuality am I? What profession am I going to be? How, what's my personality test results? All that really stupid stuff that gets in the way. All that really annoying stuff that just confuses everybody. All that stuff that just replaces what God says about who you are. All that stuff. Plus all the self-gratification where you've got to make yourself feel better. And you've got to self-help. And you've got to, you've got to drown yourself uh, from all the problems in the world. You've got to build yourself up and make yourself feel better. And then all the self-promotion that the world offers you. Hey, you gotta, you got to get all these followers. You have to be this impressive. You have to have all the friends. You have to win all the superlatives in your high school. You have, to, you have to be the best. You have to be the most. All that garbage. You and I are going to have to embrace being completely countercultural. I don't care what culture says. I'm not going to do that. I'm free from culture. I operate within it. As a means to an end. I operate in culture to reach people. Because culture will fade. Right? The fads of today are going to burn up. You're not going to have a cell phone in heaven. There won't be Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or all the other things that, that, that promote us pump us up, right? We can be free to get over ourselves in order to never get over how awesome God is. Does that make sense? Get out of the way. It's not about you. Be freed from that. It's going to feel so much better if you can just decide this morning, if you can consider deciding, I would really like to stop thinking about myself so much. And I would really like to start thinking about God what he thinks, what he feels. Verse 9. 
He wants to preach, Paul wants to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Okay, so real quick, the fellowship of, his, uh, of, of, of the mystery. Fellowship of the mystery is what? What is the fellowship of the mystery? What is the fellowship of the mystery? The church, right? Which is, just in context of what we've been talking about, the church is this fellowship, there's this mystery. What is it? Jews and Gentiles, right? What we're talking about in Ephesians, the context, the historical context here is, there were Jews, that's who God dealt with, there was the law, then Jesus, and what Jesus brings about is, hey, you can be in Christ, you can be in this, it can be Jews, it can also be Gentiles, together, whoa, okay, that was a mystery, before that, they had no idea that the Gentiles and Jews would be in this thing called in Christ. Right? They didn't really know what that looked like. So, Paul is... Hey, go back real quick. Paul is made to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. He is made, he is called to tell people, Hey, 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 I know you're a Jew, but guess what? If you're in Christ... There's neither Jew nor Gentile. So you don't actually get to despise the Gentiles because you think you're better than them. Oh, hey, Gentile. Hey, Gentile. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know these Jews are doing these law things, but that's like fading out. And you actually don't have to do the law. You actually just have to be in Christ. You have to walk with Him. Hey, hey, hey. Let me just explain. The law is passed, and now there's grace, and you're in Christ. That was what He was called to. Now, consider this. His ministry, this ministry was the complete opposite of what he thought it was going to be in life. What did Paul think his ministry was going to be? Where was he on the way to when he got saved? He was on his way to destroy churches. Right? He was on his way to destroy believers. He was living in Jewish piety and persecuting the church and then switched to preaching about the mystery of what the church actually is. And so on the road to Damascus, he's walking along. He's going to go destroy some fools, right? I'm going to go destroy the church because they believe in Jesus Christ and this is all messed up. And then all of a sudden, Jesus interrupts him. He interrupts him. He says, hey, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why, Why are you, hey, what are you doing? So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, here's what Paul was doing. Here's where he was. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He was living his best Jewish life now. He had it, man. He was doing it. He, He had it all figured out. And Jesus interrupted him. He thought he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And, and when Jesus stopped him and turned him co- completely around, what did Paul do? He said, I'm going this way. I'm Jewish. I'm going to do this Jew thing. Ain't nothing but a Jew thing. And Jesus said, no, you're wrong. 
And he said, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. Now what am I getting at? His plans changed. And it didn't really make sense to him. But he surrendered to how the Lord led him. Consider this. Jesus Christ was the first to experience this kind of uh, mission change, right? He came as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know that Jesus, when he came the first time, early in his ministry, he was offering the kingdom of heaven. He was offering the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he was saying, hey, guys, hey, I'll be your king. And he lays out the, the, the Beatitudes, right? You know the Beatitudes that you learn maybe in Kid Town? He says, hey, I'll, I'll be the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Here's what it's going to look like. And what was, he, what was he offering? He was offering to rule and reign right there on earth. Did you know that we didn't have to, we didn't have to crucify him? Did you know that? But what did humanity do? They reject him. The Jews said, no, we're not going to do that. Right? And so then what happens? Jesus' mission changes. Hey, I'll be king of kings. I'll be lord of lords. To all of a sudden, all right, hey, I'm going to go to the cross then. Total opposite of what he was hoping. Right? When they reject him. Luke 22, verse 41 and 42. Here you see this attitude shift. The same one that Paul had. The same one that we should have. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Hey, if we could, like, if we could switch this up. Like, I could still be king of kings and lord of lords. Like, just take this cup from me, right? He says, Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Jesus, Paul, Peter, and many others that you see in Scripture were commissioned to fulfill ministry roles that were uncomfortable, that were counterintuitive, and ultimately cost them everything. They were willing to change plans even when it didn't necessarily make sense to them. They were willing to shift. They were willing to pivot to 180. So here's your key. You can't perfectly or maturely, you can't perfectly fulfill your role until you give up control of what you do. You can't fulfill your role until you give up what you do. And so here's a practical example as you're writing that down. So for me, Kylie and I started leading worship in 2000, I don't know, 2011, something like that, 2012, where we started leading in the church. And I really enjoyed it. She really enjoyed it. It was really great. We jump into youth ministry. We're still leading worship, right? And that's a good time. And then uh, there comes a, a, a point where I have to stop leading worship because we're full-time youth ministry. And so we're doing youth ministry. And all along, I'm thinking, man, I keep, like, taking on more responsibility. And, like, maybe, maybe I'll be a church planter. And maybe, maybe I'll be, like, a head pastor someday. And what I did was I convinced myself that I have to be a head pastor someday. Right? And then something really amazing happened. Uh, pastor Mike Renault felt called to, to be part of a, a church plant in Boston. And before that, I had, I had caught wind that, hey, we were praying about places like Boston. I was like, maybe, maybe that's me because I like the Celtics. I mean, come on, right? 
So I'm thinking about it. I'm like, maybe I'm supposed to go to Boston. But then I hear Mike is going to Boston. I'm like, wow. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to go to Boston. And then the Lord did a work on my heart. And what I realized was, wait. If Mike's going to Boston, and maybe I'm supposed to go to Boston, that means I'm not going to be the head pastor. What's that dynamic look like? Oh, maybe I'm supposed to just lead worship. Maybe I'm supposed to just be a right-hand man. And what happened was I made that subtle shift from thinking uh, emphatically that this is where my ministry is going to go. This is where my life is going to go. And God said, actually, maybe not. Maybe you'll do this. And there was, there was a place in my heart where I had to surrender. Like, okay, maybe I'm not going to be a head pastor. And that's good. That's good. Maybe I'll be a... Maybe I'll get to work on hospitality. Maybe I'll get to be in the cafe ministry. Let me just communicate to you that, man, at this point, by the grace of God, I feel like, you know, and it may be a struggle. I'm proud. I'm a man. But I feel like if the Lord called me to do anything, I think I'd be willing to do it. I think so. Like if I was supposed to just work once a month in the kid town class and not get to preach the Bible, I think it'd be hard. It'd be an adjustment. But okay, cool. Because the Lord knows best, right? That's what Paul was doing. He shifted gears completely. That's what we have to do. We have to be willing to give up control of what we do. So verse 10 and verse 11. We're going to keep moving here. He says, to the intent. Here's why. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a lot of words, a lot of phrases in there. Let me just, let me sum it up for you a little bit. He's saying, here's why. Here's why you give up control. Because there's a bigger purpose. And his particular purpose of preaching about uh, Christ and preaching about this mystery is that principalities and powers in heavenly places might be, uh, that, the, that the mystery might be known by the church uh, to see the manifold wisdom of God. So that people up in heaven, not people, things up in heaven, what? Think the stuff that's up in heaven. So that they can see God's wisdom because of this mystery that is the church. So without getting too weird and, and complicated, it's like a big reveal. There's going to be a big reveal. So some people like the big mysteries being revealed. You know, Kyle and I, we just found out we're going to have a girl. And before we, before we found that out, we, we go in and we, they do the ultrasound. And right away, the ultrasound text, like, well, she's sitting there wide open with her legs, like up here, and there's nothing there. And I'm like, wow, okay, that was like not a big reveal. She just told us right away it's a girl. Okay, got it, right? But then we... We, we keep it a secret, and, and we're waiting, and we go to uh, her parents' house, and our family's there, and, and we do some Facebook Live thing for her grandma or whatever, and, and people are anticipating, what's the baby going to be? What's the baby going to be? And then we reveal it. Oh, it's a girl, and people are excited. Wow. And that's like a, that's like a small-scale version of what people really like, right? We want to know how the magicians do the tricks. When they do that cool thing, we're like, but, but how'd you do it, Right? Was it some mystic thing or was there like a, you know, did you put it in your sleeve? Like, how'd that work? 
We want to see how the plot unfolded in the mystery books or movies, right? We want those flash-throughs where, you know, at the end of the movie, you know, the guy who's been on the run, it goes through all the times where he sneaked a little thing here and he sneaked a little thing here and he, he planned this out. We like to see those things unfold. Why? Because in the end, the intrigue and excitement, when it's revealed, when it gets found out, this master plan is revealed. We're put in awe. We're like, wow. That was cool. Now, if it's a movie or if it's a gender reveal, we're like, wow. I'm going to go get some snacks now. <laughs> and we move on pretty quick. The revelation of the mystery of the church to the heavenly host is to demonstrate and show God's wisdom, ultimately revealing his big plan to all of creation. There will be a big reveal party in heaven in the end. And, and the church is a highly unlikely candidate to demonstrate God's glory because we're so weak and incapable. You understand this, that you were created to worship God, but do you know, that, do you know how insufficient and incapable we are compared to like, I don't know, angels? Like if you just study and compare us with angels in the Bible, their worship sets, Naomi, you did a fantastic job this morning. It was really great. Their worship sets, I mean, they're like literally instruments. Satan is literally an instrument. Their worship sets were unbelievable. And God's going to show his wisdom by using you and me. To give him glory. And then all of the heavenly hosts are going to be like, whoa, like, whoa, you did that. You used Elijah to bring you glory? That's amazing. How'd you do that? Right? And God's going to say, because I, I put him in Christ. Isn't that cool? And they're going to be like, wow, that is incredible. Right? It's a big reveal. Another example of God using counterintuitive means uh, would be, you know, when, when Paul speaks of having a thorn in the flesh. You remember that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then in verse 8 and 9, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, this is what God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, my, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So in other words, I'm excited that I'm incapable and insufficient. I've got this chronic hardship in life. I'm excited because things are really tough, because I'm really insufficient. I'm excited about that because that means God gets even more glory from my life when He uses me. So, so hang with me here. God uses this strange tool in revealing and preaching the mystery of the church. It's a counterintuitive tool. Right? He was a zealous Jew persecuting the church. He was weak and incapable as a man. And God uses him for the job of preaching Christ to Gentiles. It's strange. It's kind of weird. It doesn't really make sense. Yet it's perfect for the job. Because God here, as always, has a purpose and a plan and all the things that we're a part of, that we're used for, that we're doing, He has a purpose and a plan for Him that we aren't always aware of. And do you know what that is? You know what God's purpose and plan for all the things that you have to do? All the things you go through? 
It's to maximize His glory. God has a reason for even the things that are counterintuitive, and He enjoys using our weakness. So your key is you can't perfectly fulfill your role until you surrender your why. Your why. So as you're writing that down, let me explain it. It's, it can look one or two ways, right? So it could be your motives. <clears throat> your motives in life, ministry, whatever. Maturity says I'm approaching this ministry opportunity. I'm approaching this hardship in life. Some of you have hardships in life. You've got really tough circumstances. Or I'm approaching this relationship with this person, this friendship, this whatever. And it's not going to be about my promotion or glory, but that of the gospel and Jesus Christ. Can you say, I'm going to do whatever I do for God's glory, not my own? Some of you cannot do that. Some of you are so vain and full of yourself that everything you do is all about you. That's immaturity. I'm not mad at you, but you are immature and you should know that. Because that requires you getting out of the way. Okay, God, I recognize that I'm all about myself. I've been there and I find myself there sometimes even now. Okay, I got to get out of the way. Any other way. It's not about me. Charity says, my motive will be God's glory. But it might also be uh, bad or immature questioning. God tells you to do something. You say, well, well, why? Why would I do that? And instead of questioning, why should I do this? Or why should I do that? Why should I preach the gospel? Why should I be part of a Bible study? Why should I, why should I do whatever Jeff says or whatever one of the counselors says? Well, maturity says, okay, I'm hearing this instruction from leadership. I'm hearing it from the principles of God's word. Yes, Lord Jesus. And you could say, yes, Lord Jesus, even when instruction comes from the mouth of an imperfect pastor or leader. Because you know why. You know that you will submit your buy-in to whatever God is calling you to do because it's for His glory. And even if I give you a bad instruction, if I call you to join Bible studies and that's actually a terrible idea, if you submit to me, don't you know that I'm the one that answers for that, not you? So you bring God glory by being submitted, by being more like Christ. You actually have nothing to lose if you just submit. Now I can tell you, I don't like telling people what to do. So maybe you can know my heart, that I'm never going to tell you some arbitrary thing to do just because. I don't want to waste your time. But I know that being in a Bible study is the best thing for you. I know that for a fact. I'm convinced. Because that's the Lord, that's how He's led me to lead. So you can buy in or not. Maturity says, all right, Lord, I think you're leading, and it's for your glory. Verse 12, this concluding verse, and I'll kind of leave you with this. Uh, I was asking the guys that we have Bible study, adult Bible study, on um, uh, first and third Saturdays, first and third Saturdays. And uh, I asked them afterwards, I said, hey, I said, 
Can you guys tell me, explain this? He says, in whom, he's talking about Jesus, okay, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now, uh, I'll give you this, okay. We believe that the King James, formerly known as the authorized version of the Bible, is the, uh, is the preserved word of God, okay. We believe that we have the literal the very words of, of God in this Bible. And um, the other versions, all other versions, don't have them in it. And, and I'd be glad to explain that, to, sh- to show you, to recommend books, to have conversations, to answer questions. But I'm 100% convinced these are the words of God and that no other Bible has them in English, right? Okay, well, King James says, by the faith of him. And all the other versions say, by faith in him. So I'm like, well, what is this, Lord? Like, why'd you do that? It, it makes it a lot easier if, if I just read by, uh, with confidence, by faith in him. But he said, the faith of him. So I got to working through that. And here's, here's what we can take away, Okay. And I'll give you maybe some things to launch into that study if, you, if you'd like to. But here's what we see. That in the end, what we have here is that we have boldness. We have access. We have confidence in our relationship with God because of the faith. Because of the faith. It isn't because of the law. It isn't because of our good works or our impressive behavior. It's because of the faith, which is the relationship we get to have with God in Christ. So here's our practical application. Here's your key. Here's your conclusion. You can't perfectly fulfill your role unless you come into His presence. What you need to know is if you want to be used by God, you've got to dwell with God. You've got to abide in Him. If you want to be fruitful, you literally have to abide in Christ. If you don't abide in Christ, you won't be fruitful. If you're not fruitful, you'll be depressed and anxious and purposeless. You'll be empty. You'll feel down all the time. Some of you feel that often. And I'm telling you that the answer, guys, the answer is abide in Christ. Do the hard work of just meeting Him in His Word. It is hard. It's hard for everybody. You know? Because we're all made of flesh. But I, I, I just think that this, <clears throat> this is a win. Right? God's Word. Dude, God's Word is so perfect. It's so precise. And He's so good at all of the things that He does, including preserve His words. And if you, if you want to access, you know, why does it say by the faith of him instead of faith in him? This is maybe for the nerds. Maybe some of you are like, bro, what are you talking about? It's okay. Don't worry. But if you want to do a cool Bible study, search up uh, just the phrase, the faith. The faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 kind of begins to un- unveil this thing. This is like, a, it's not one of the mysteries in the Bible, but it is one of those things that you can, you can find a phrase, you can find a word in your Bible, and you get stuck, 
You're like, bro, what does this even mean? And there's times where I write in my Bible and I don't have, you know, capacity or time to like go in depth and study. I'll just write a question. What in the world does this mean, God? Sometimes I'll find something like this. And you know what happens? If I just, if I, if I stay there, if I hang on. And I'm just trusting God by His Spirit to teach me and to lead me through Scripture to figure out, to unravel this, like, mystery. You know what happens? I go on this journey of searching, of studying, of being with God, of working with God to find something out. And all of a sudden, I have a renewed, refreshed eagerness to get in His Word. But it requires some hard work and some time. So maybe you, maybe you think, I don't have any desire at all to read the Bible. I don't have any desire to be used by Him in people's lives. The feeling is not there. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you know? It's not like pastors, leaders, disciples. It's not like we just always walk around feeling like we want to be used by God. It's a matter of decision. Okay, I'm just going to believe that I'm going to pursue these things and the heart will follow. Does that make sense? Get out of the way. Give up control of what you do. Surrender the why you do things. Meet God in His Word. Be fruitful. Get over yourself. Right? Right? God loves you. It's all you need. He loves you a lot. A lot. And He wants you to walk with Him. Okay? So I'm going to pray and then we'll be done. Cool? Father, thank You for Your Word. Um, Lord, I just... I, I ask that You would send forth Your Word. Um, that this would be us receiving your sent word to us, you know that, you know the preaching, that the expounding on your on your words would fall on receptive hearts this morning. That we would uh, we would hang on to your words. That we would seek your words. That we would that we would desire to be with you. That God, you would that you would butt out all the other things that are vying for our affection and our time throughout the day and throughout this week. That you would make yourself preeminent. That you would make yourself the priority in our lives. God, we need your help to win our hearts. God, we're so weak and fickle that we can distract ourselves with so much, like anything. We can distract ourselves with anything. God, we need you to be a winsome, a winsome Lord. That reveal to us, you know, just how awesome it is to get in your word and study and to, to be with you. That there's nothing like it. There's nothing better. Convince us of that. Give us that resolve. That there's nothing we'd rather do. Help us. God, we want to seek your face. We want to be with you. And so as we go into the main service, God, help us to do just that. Help us to receive your words. God, I'm so excited to hear from Genesis. God, and it's going to be fascinating. And, and there's going to be things that I learned for the first time probably. And there's going to be uh, things that I need reminded of. And God, the applications, there's principles that I'm going to need going into this week. I need encouraged to, to be bold in my faith and in my witness. I need encouraged to, to dive into your word. 
I need you to, to, to pull me along and to not make this an academic thing going into the next service, but give us hearts of worship. Give us hearts and minds of reverence, of respect towards your name. God, make us like your children where we care about you and we set our affection on you and not just ourselves. God, help us to do that. Make us that people. And God, make us fruitful this week. I'm just, I lift up the Bible studies to you again and ask that you would have your way, that God, you would make them fruitful. That God, you would bless them, that you would encourage the leaders of those Bible studies to persevere, to dive in, to not be afraid, to be bold, to do hard work, to carry the water of growing this ministry internally and externally. And God, all of it, God, to bring you glory. God, be glorified in us. We need that. And we need that much more than we know we need it. God, we need you to be glorified in our lives. So have your way with the rest of this morning. Bless my friends. God, encourage them. Refresh them. If they have questions, God, give them boldness to reach out and ask. Give them humility and boldness to go down front. to get over themselves and lay everything down at your feet. Give us that help, please, that grace. Show your mercy to us. God, we love you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.